0: Well, I invite you to pull out your cell phone or your Bible, uh, your app on your cell phone, not not uh, to do something else while I'm preaching, but uh, to turn to your Bible app. Uh, our uh, coronavirus text for this Sunday is uh, from John chapter 20, uh, and beginning at uh, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace. Be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. So this is really quite an interesting text for this day. Uh, We find these disciples locked away inside the house. Now, I know it's a stretch to imagine being locked away inside the house, but, but, but use your imaginations and just imagine that the week after Easter you're locked away inside your house. And these disciples are in the house in fear and doubt. They are in the house in fear and doubt. Now, when we realize that, the first thing that we've got to know here is that the resurrection does not somehow take away our human emotions and the characteristics of our human nature. It's not some magic pill that suddenly makes the world and our lives perfect. Yay for the resurrection. Nothing is bad anymore. That is not the message of the empty tomb. These disciples... Or caught in the grip of fear and doubt. The text opens by telling us that they are locked in the house for fear of the Jews. Now, what this probably means is that they are afraid that the tomb is empty and they will be blamed for having taken away Jesus. Or they're afraid that they might be crucified for being one of Jesus' followers. Or they're perhaps afraid that with Jesus now gone, they're going to have to revert to the old ways instead of the ways that Jesus has taught them. They are afraid. Now, there may be other motions at work in this house, because after all, uh, Mary went to the tomb... And she ended up seeing Jesus, who she thought was the gardener, and then she went and told everybody, and they were like, either, nah. Or maybe they were like, really? Or maybe Mary's really lost it now. You know, she's beginning to imagine Jesus. But they don't really know what's happened. And so they have this fear of what might be beyond the doors. And fear is something that we see in the scriptures. I mean, think about these disciples when they're on, in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes along. They're afraid. Or think about the prophet Elijah. After he does all these magnificent works for God, now he's running with fear from Jezebel. Fear is a characteristic that we find in human beings, but our fear should never be stronger than our faith. I think that fear actually has a bit of a positive side to it because when we have some fear, we are likely not to do crazy things that may not be for our good. Right? Uh, If you have no fear, then uh, you're willing to jump off a cliff into the ocean below, not knowing if there are rocks or how deep it is or anything else, because you're fearless. So there's a good side to fear at times, but as we all know, there's a really negative side to fear as well. Fear can become overwhelming at times. Uh, We become so afraid that we're immobilized or we're paralyzed. I mean, have you gone out uh, for a walk lately or gone to a store, and you'll recognize those people who are really terrified in this time of uh, COVID-19 because you will get, like, within eight feet of them, you have a mask, they have a mask, and their eyes will get really big and they'll tense up like, just looking at you is going to infect them. They are overwhelmed by fear. And so fear can never be stronger than our faith in God. But we will always have some measure of fear. And then these disciples, well, they also are demonstrating doubt. Of course, they haven't seen Jesus. They've only heard reports. They're not sure what's going on. There's a lot of uncertainty. And doubt is something that you often see in the scriptures. I mean, think about Moses when he's called. He is doubtful that he's the right person. And he starts questioning God. He's like, no, it couldn't be me. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Or Job, Job in the midst of the situation he finds himself in, he's busy questioning God and asking questions. And the truth is that God can stand up to our tiny little questions. They're not a threat to God. In fact, there really is a positive side to doubt at times because doubt leads us to ask questions. And questions lead us closer to the truth. You know, uh, as a teacher, I always like it when my students ask a lot of questions, even if they're really critical questions, because I know they are engaged. I know they're trying to learn. I know that they're thinking. And the truth is that the questions we ask often uh, lead us to a better place than the answers we already have. And so there's a positive side To doubt. But of course, as one might imagine, if doubt becomes stronger than our faith, we find ourselves in a bad situation. And right now, uh, when you turn back to our COVID 19, uh, you're seeing great examples of doubt at work. Uh, The other night, there was a protest gathering at Penn Square Mall where they were all supposed to drive up in their cars and protest for reopening the city. And then they decided, oh, the heck with social distancing. Let's just get out of the cars and mingle. And on one of the news channels, a reporter was interviewing a woman who was out of her car and mingling and said, aren't you even a little worried uh, that you will... Uh, end up with the virus. And she said, no, I'm going to hug everybody here. I'm not going to get any virus. This is not for real. This is blah, 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 blah. And there it was, doubting Thomas. Unless I have someone in my family who I can touch who's got the virus, unless I know someone in the hospital, I will not believe that this is real. And of course, that kind of doubt is about justifying oneself. That kind of doubt is about saying, I am tired of being sheltered in place. This is a hardship for me, and so I'm going to do what I want. You see, both fear and doubt can turn us inward if our fear and our doubt ends up being Stronger than our faith. Doubt can lead us to turn away and do our own thing. Look, we have been at this for how many weeks now? The last time we worshiped together was March 8th. I'm tired of waking up in the morning and deciding whether I'm going to sit in the living room or the study or maybe make a day of it and go to the dining room. I'm tired of preaching to an almost empty sanctuary. I'm tired of not being able to do the things I really enjoy doing. And yet, I know that when I ask the right questions, this isn't a time for foolhardiness. It isn't a time for selfishness. Uh, I actually went, you can go online to the city, you can pull the executive reports, and you can track the infections, you can track the death rate, you can track uh, the numbers of increases, the numbers of recovered. Did you know on the earliest I could get was March 22nd, which uh, was the second week that we were sheltered in place, there were 67 known infections. On Palm Sunday, there were 1,300 known infections. Uh, last week on Easter Sunday, there were 2,000 known infections, and as of yesterday, there were 25, almost 2,600 known infections, and the death rate continues to climb. If we doubt what we see, we are selfish. We're not operating with the good of the community in mind. Yes, we want things open again, but we have to do it in a way that is faithful to the good of the larger community. So the resurrection, interestingly enough, doesn't give us perfect knowledge. It doesn't remove the uncertainties in life. It doesn't Remove the lack of perfect knowledge and wisdom. We still remain ever so human. We remain filled with these various emotions and feelings, just like Isaac showed us in uh, the children's moment. But Jesus has a lesson for us. And of course, it's always Jesus who gives us what we're looking for in the scriptures. And there are three things in a row that Jesus is showing us about the resurrection and how it is we are to live. And the first thing is when he shows up in those closed-up spaces, and trust me, he will show up, the first words he speaks are, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You. Now, so often we think of peace as being the absence of conflict, the absence of any kind of struggle, but that is not really the meaning of peace because Jesus, the word in Greek is arenai, uh, but Jesus would have been speaking in Aramaic. He would have known Hebrew, and the word for peace, of course, is Shalom. And shalom means wholeness. Shalom means complete well-being. Shalom means being the way God intends for us to be. And so he's saying, wellness, wholeness be with you. And then he goes from this this point of offering peace, of, of projecting wholeness as the gift that he brings through his cross and resurrection because they always go together. And the next words from his mouth are this. As I was sent, now you are sent. Don't miss this point. The resurrection isn't, uh, hey, uh, God has overcome the world, I'm done, I'm safe, I'm happy, everything is as it should be. No, the resurrection now says, guess what? you got to pick up and go out into the world now. And when you go out into the world, you are called to go into the world's suffering on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, to enter into the suffering in the way that Jesus entered into the suffering of people and the world, to see what kind of resurrected life, what kind of hope, what kind of future, what kind of wellness we can help to bring out of places of suffering, you see, suffering is really about our inability to control the way things should be. We always suffer because we can't control the world or even our lives. But we are called to let go of that controlling sense and simply to pick up and follow Jesus where he would lead us because there's a third thing in this passage that Jesus is telling us about how to live and that is when he then turns to them and breathes. On them. Now, two things here. The first thing is that when he breathes on the disciples, we should be reminded of the Garden of Eden and God taking this earth creature that had been formed and breathing life into it. Jesus now. Breathes new life into the disciples, and Jesus breathes into them the Holy Spirit. Receive whew, the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, as I said more than once, is the bond. Among the believers, the Holy Spirit is our glue that holds us together. The Holy Spirit is the connective tissue of the body of Christ. That's why we know even if we are in our own places, we are held together as the body of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us as a gift from Jesus Christ, as a gift of the resurrection. And this Holy Spirit creates relationship. It takes a selfish, self-centered person who's only worried about their own suffering and sends them out as the hands and the heart and the love of Jesus Christ into the world, strengthened by the power of a community, held by a power of a community, operating as the power of a community, not a single individual. This is so much the heart of the resurrection is this sense of being together with Jesus to enter into the world and its suffering so that we may bring life and wholeness and well-being. 25 years ago, on this day, a young man who was selfish, disconnected, mean-spirited, lacking in compassion, lacking in love, took a Rental truck filled it with explosives, drove it to the front of the Murrah building, upon which he turned his back on it and walked away. And as that truck exploded, it literally ripped a hole through the center of Oklahoma City, it ripped a hole through the hearts of this community, and yet, in the face of that act of terrorism, people left their houses. People stepped up to ask how they could help. People gave blood. People donated goods for the first responders. People did everything they could to make sure that the suffering, that the death, that the destruction did not have the last word, but life, new life, hope, and the possibility of a good future would be the final word on a very tragic and terrible situation. Death doesn't have the last word. Life, resurrection has the last word, and the vibrancy of Oklahoma City today has come out of what happened On April 19th, 1995, the renaissance of this city, the new life, the vibrancy comes out of what was meant to be a death-dealing situation, but instead became a situation of life and hope and renewal. So people of God... On this Sunday, while we are in our homes, maybe with some fear, maybe with some doubt, the question that the gospel writer asks us today is whether you are going to let that fear and let that doubt and let those other emotions rule your life or whether we will receive the peace of Jesus, the breath of the Holy Spirit, and be sent into the world to bring hope and life and resurrection wherever there may be suffering. Because after all, The resurrection makes us the body of Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.